One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to the club, Telegraph Audio Football Club. This week, reaction to the mighty footballing nation of England and their greatest year since 1966. Ruminations on the mighty Nations League, the greatest football competition since the ICC. And respect to the mighty Gareth Southgate, the best wearer of a suit and beard combo since Abraham Lincoln. We'll come crashing down to earth with a summary of the rest of the UK and Ireland's national football teams and explore a change at the top of the Premier League, which happened without a ball being kicked. Plus, a look ahead to next week's fixtures and an intriguing suggestion for what should replace penalty shootouts. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by your friend and mine. It's JJ Ball. JJ, how are you? Hello, I'm good. Like the debate be first. Yeah, nice. yeah, we've got to mix it up, haven't we? We've got a slightly revised lineup this week, so uh, I want to keep uh, everyone on their toes. Uh, it's the man with his finger in several football news pies. Matt Law, how are you, Matt? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Surprised by uh, Jason's news that the company won't let him in the building. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not air our dirty laundry here. Uh, Spoiler alert, it's Jason Burt, our Chief Football Correspondent, joining us again on AFC Telegraph. How are you feeling, Jason? I'm fine now I'm in the building. Yes, good. A bit of a a difficult start to your morning. What about England versus Croatia? What a tournament the Nations League is. Uh, Harry Kane as well. Marvellous person, marvellous human being. I know it's a new tournament, but this was such an exciting match. Where does it rank for you, Matt and Jason? You were both there for covering England, uh, especially games at Wembley. I'll let Jason go first because I think he's covered England more. Yeah, at Wembley, I think it's the best game or the best occasion I can recall for England, really. And I've been covering England for 10, 11 years and no more than that, actually, 12 years. And that's the game I remember most in terms of what what they what the atmosphere was like, the way they played, and the general feeling around it. Really, to be honest, and obviously it follows on from the World Cup, which was just which was just fantastic. Obviously, me and Matt were out in Russia the whole time, but I came away from Wembley yesterday thinking this is really really good. This is really positive, and I'm enjoying this a lot. And getting back home and seeing how people are reacting to it at home, even my wife 
who's not interested in football said, oh, that was really good. I'm thinking, blind me, this is a bit of a, a turn up for the books. Nations no, League fever. Exactly, yeah. And then she said, what does it all mean? And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, it doesn't really mean, mean an awful lot, but they won a very good game. So, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Directed this to the UEFA website where it's all explained very, very clearly. This is a level above the big friendly wins, isn't it? Like compared to beating Germany in 2016 ahead of the Euros, this felt like a more significant win for England. It definitely is. I mean, the problem with those friendly wins when we have beaten good opposition in friendlies, that Germany one's a really good case in point, is that you get very excited about it, but then when you really look back at it, you realise they probably haven't taken it that seriously. A lot of those wins well, they have were bemused. They were totally bemused by our reaction. Yeah, they? They were like you just you just beaten us in a friendly. We changed our team at half time. This is it. They, we, if you look back at that game, they changed their entire defence yeah. at half time, and, and we sort of took advantage. It didn't really mean anything. I mean, this is certainly. At the new Wembley, the first time I can I can think of a real sense of achievement around an England result. Whatever you think of the, the UEFA Nations League, they've achieved something. And even when we've had good results in the past, it's not really achieved anything. It's just been a you know an, a feeling of encouragement. So I think it's a lot different from that point of view. What was the atmosphere like at Wembley? It was really good. I mean, it, it it took a long time for people to get in. Yeah. I mean, I remember at the start looking around Jason thinking, this is meant to, to be a sellout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, similar problems. Um, there were a lot of empty seats for about the first 15 minutes, and then it filled up, and the atmosphere became really good. And once we went behind, actually, the atmosphere got even better because the crowd really that was tried the key. to carry them over yeah, that the was, line. That was the big difference to me, was once they went, when they went behind, they had a little bit of a wobble for a while. They could have gone two goals down. And then suddenly they were going forward and the crowd were getting behind them. And you've got a real sense of, actually, we've got to, we've got to, have to try and win this game now. And I think you know that, that was the big change for me because previously we've been here so many times before and you see almost the kind of fear starts to grip them. That like almost like paralysis of what do we do now? And they just don't really attacking the way they did yesterday and they just went for it and it was that was the difference to me that seeing them actually going for a game in that manner substitutions working their approach working and really once they got the equaliser again I felt they would win it and I've never really felt that about England before I never felt that they would then go on and win that game I thought they might almost think oh okay we've drawn it now that's not too bad we say we've face saved a little bit and that, and that they didn't settle for that and that was the big change What does it tell you about this England team JJ that they weathered that first half where they had a lot of good chances they could have been two or three goals up at half time and weathered going behind what does that does that speak well to you about the quality <laughs> of this England uh, I think I agree with Jason I think when they were as soon as they went down I watched this game in a, in a pub in North East London and, uh, and the, the people watching it there were loving it like they were right into it far more than I've seen for friendlies and um, when that uh, Kramaric scored his goal I just felt that England were going to come back into it. You feel that there's something to them. There's a real, uh, there's a winning mentality to it. I think Southgate's put a mentality into that team, so they don't uh, lose easily. They um, they don't lose easily. They, they can definitely get into games. And I liked that the goals they scored were very old-fashioned English goals. <laughs> like Joe Gomez is basically a catapult now. The way he threw that <laughs> ball in the box. It's That's a foul a- throw. Was it? Yeah, yeah, his feet were over the line. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even see that bit. Well, there you we go. We crossed over that, didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> we forgot about that yesterday. <laughs> That's actually something I really loved about the uh, performance, weirdly, um, and it's maybe not the best thing to like, but uh, that England were doing the things that they've been that have been done to them so many times before. So when they're 2-0 and up and they're trying to just keep the game over the line, get it done, they start finding cramp in different places and <laughs> they take longer over throw-ins. I've seen them get done a few times with different teams doing that and it's hugely frustrating. So I like that they've finally accepted that, that is a way to get games won. There are quite a few tactical fouls as well. Yeah. Um, particularly in the first half when we were really kind of trying to swarm all over them. 
when they did try and break at us, if Modric picked it up, we actually fouled him quite a lot, just little tactical niggly fouls. Barkley got a yellow card for one. And that's the kind of stuff we've been moaning about that, that England don't do for a long time. Well, I remember sitting in Rio in 2014 when Wayne Rooney was complaining about England not being streetwise yeah. enough, not being mm. able to do that sort of thing. And there's obviously an element of cynicism to it, but that's what you have to do at the highest level. You know, that's what you have to do. You have to have that game management, mm-hmm. but also that slightly cynical approach that you'll, you'll break up the opposition's play. That's what the best nations do. That's, what, that's, that's how they win trophies. Who's driving that on the pitch? Who are the leaders in the England team? Yesterday, Delft was a real leader. I mean, it was a bit of a surprise inclusion because Henderson had, had felt the injury, I think, that he came into the squad with in, his, in the final training session. And um, Henderson is definitely a leader, but Delft really took that on first half. He, I thought he really sort of yeah. drove the team. I mean, Kane's an obvious leader with the way he will always stay calm, always respond with something on the pitch. He's quite happy to be the spokesman of the team if need be. Well, what we found out in Croatia when we were away for that, that game with no fans was Kane is very quiet. Isn't He's it? quite he on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't say an awful lot. And you, you listen to the voices, and out on the pitch in Croatia, it was Henderson mainly mm. who was then. Stones was quite vocal as well. I think he's quite a leader yeah. in terms of the defensive. Uh, Stones and Dyer had a little moment when uh, Kramerich scored, didn't they? They looked yeah. as though they had a bit of a go at each other, but in a kind of positive way by the looks of it. But I just think I think the main thing about it is it's it's building on the summer really. I think it's that kind of sense of more momentum being gained after the summer because it was a difficult start to the season for England and and we saw that with obviously losing to Spain and everyone was a little bit flat and trying to get back going again and I think the, the, obviously the performance in Croatia was good the, re, the game against Spain was was their best first half I've ever seen England play live absolutely ever seen England play and then obviously winning yesterday so suddenly you've got that momentum. Um, has created a, a great 2018 for England. I think um, one thing that's been slightly missed so far is actually Southgate hasn't just taken what happened at the World Cup and sort of um, just tried to continue that. He's actually changed quite a lot. I mean, obviously there's the formation yeah. change, mm-hmm. but the players as well. I mean, Chilwell now looks like the first choice left back. Gomez, who would have gone to the World Cup, but he's he's come back into it. Barkley, Sancho coming into the When you break it down, he's actually changed quite a lot from a successful World Cup, which is pretty brave because it could have, you know, backfired and, and made him look silly. Shades of Fergie always changing the Man United this is team it. every and summer, always doing those little upgrades. And it's clever of, of him because he's realised that what, what went on in the summer was very much of a moment and that we probably weren't going to get much further than what we did with that formation, with that just that group of players, and he's evolved it really well. Um, I think to, to keep that go, to to actually keep the feel good factor from the World Cup, but also change is very clever from Southgate. I think. It's really important doing that. You see, Germany haven't done it, and you see where they've gone now. They've got relegated from their group, and Holland, of similar to, to England, have quite a young, youthful um, uh, team coming through, and you get that kind of uh, exuberance and. A bit of energy that comes in and uh, other teams that don't have that hate playing against it if you've got pace and people are really really going for that and there's some sort of uh, there's no fear of losing when you're a bit younger so maybe that really helps them as well whereas in the past you've had players who have seen this before so they want to stay level rather than really pushing mm. and I like that a lot in it On Southgate his stock was really, really low in 2015 the under-21s had crashed out of the group stage of the European Championships does what happened since suggest that sometimes we write managers off too quickly? They're in the bin if they've had one terrible tournament. Yes. Uh, and, and they oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think he, he and he was also written off as a, a club manager after Middlesbrough. And actually, if you look at what he did at Middlesbrough, 
he was quite successful for quite a long period of time there. And then it all fell apart when they were, they were cutting back and they were getting rid of lots of players. The, the wage bill was coming down dramatically. He was extremely inexperienced in a very difficult situation at that club. And then if you look at then, after that, people never considered him as a club manager. I mean, he would never get a club job. Now... Yeah, he will. He would if he wanted to leave now. He would get, he would get a decent club job. We don't wouldn't get top six necessarily, but the way things are going, he's he's becoming quite a big you know big big catch. But you're absolutely right. After that period of time, I think people always think about Gareth Southgate is that people mistake his way and his demeanour as like this sort of nice guy, and he's he's not just like a nice guy. He's far more tougher than that, and he's far more organised than that in what he wants to do with England. And I think he's almost been the whole period of time he was with the 21s and previous jobs with the FA has been building to this moment that he's almost been thinking, right, I, I want to do things in my way, in this way, because I've seen the mistakes that have been made in the past and I'm not going to repeat them. And the best thing about him of all, he's not afraid to fail. He's absolutely not afraid to fail. If all he says to us is, what's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst that can happen with England has already happened. So it's not going to get any worse. That's where we're at. And, and when he says it, you're thinking, yeah, you're right, actually. The worst has happened. We do write managers off too quickly, though. I mean, if you look... I. I think I wrote something about this last season um, in terms of Conte. Most of the top managers, the, the foreign managers, Conte, Klopp, Wenger, they've all had some really bad spells at the start of their career and either got sacked or had to quit mm. or things have gone wrong for them. And yet they've always overseas been given quite quickly another good chance. Whereas over here, if someone early in their career has a bad first season of management or has a very good first season, then goes off somewhere and it all goes wrong for them, we just kind of, we do write them off and we make it, I don't, I don't say we make it, but it seems to be made very hard for them then to get actually back into football and get given a job that gives them the opportunity to get their career going again. So Little- much of their job can depend on, on, on singular moments. So it could be a referee decision goes against them and that's a penalty they concede and then they're out of a cup. And you see like... Um, you look at Mauricio Pochettino now at Spurs, and so he's not won anything with them. But I mean, what kind of Spurs fan wouldn't say that he's given them a clear identity? They're clearly much better than they have been for since I've ever seen them play. And he'd leave that in place, and it's that legacy he'd leave if, when he does leave. Then if he just won an FA Cup, and you see some managers will get binned. I mean, the full of managers get done. He could well have come round after Christmas and brought it round. Maybe not. We've been through this last week, <laughs> but uh, you know that's now. And now you've got Ranieri in, and we'll see what happens with that. But. What if he has three losses in a row? Does that mean he's the worst manager they could have appointed? Mm. No, it depends what you put in and how you get out of it. It's all got to build now to the 2020 Euros for England. How much do we think the team will change between now and then? Wow, it's, that is so difficult to predict um, because Southgate, as Jason just said, is not afraid of change. Um, as I was just saying, he's proven that since the World Cup, despite being successful he will change if he if he thinks he has to. So you you wouldn't anticipate big changes because the team is so so young. But if someone comes through or is someone doing particularly well, Southgate's proved they will get a chance. The one one change I would predict, and it's not really going out on a limb because he's he's part of the squad. I wouldn't be surprised if Alexander Arnold yeah. eventually ousts Kyle Walker mm-hmm. for that right back spot. Um, I actually thought Kyle Walker was. One of few poor performances um, against always Croatia. Got, always got a couple of errors in him, hasn't he? Even, yeah. not, not critical errors, but just little misplaced passes at crucial moments. Yeah, and I, I also think Trent Alexander-Arnold's starting to show that maybe he's got a bit more going forwards. He used to be a midfielder. I think he'll be a better player going in, like long-term, Alexander-Arnold. Yeah. And I, I can see by the championships him maybe being first-choice right-back. I think with Walker, if you play Walker right-back, it means that 
um, Southgate can switch to a three when he needs to as well. So he's got tactical option, and that really helps him as well. The one thing I think we'll, might see a difference uh, going forward will be the midfield. Yeah. I'm not sure he's got the balance quite no, right. That's right. And then um, you've got players coming through. Like I, I really like Lewis Cook at Bournemouth, neat and tidy with the ball, and you've got Harry Winks doing the same sort of thing. But you've got some players who like to run with the ball and run ahead into space, and some who drop deep. And like Eric Dier or Dyer is good at holding it, and again he drops into their centre back if he wants. But I'm not sure quite what the best midfield three is. Is this now. the basic formation now? Do we think? Do we think yeah. that will change? Yeah, that's a winning formation because if we talk to Southgate about it, teams don't win playing 3-5-2 you don't ultimately beat the bigger nations doing that and mm. especially with the players that England have got 4-3-3 is seen as, as a more progressive way ahead and I think I, I agree with JJ I think midfield is the area he's definitely looking at the midfield thinking and if you look at that that's actually the area where there are older players so you've got Delph and Henderson in there so they may be the ones who are more vulnerable in terms of going forward and obviously there are a lot of younger players coming through and we're looking at sort of creating midfield players and which mm. ones will actually step up and be be the players they can be and obviously you know Foden and Mount and all these sort of players and maybe there'll be some else out there coming forward but I think that's the one area in the team he's probably thinking we still need more control in that midfield It was the Wayne Rooney goodbye festival before the excitement of the Nations League <laughs> against the USA it was a bit of a B team for England at Wembley last Thursday did anyone impress particularly in that game? Oh, do you know what because of the Croatia <laughs> game I'm actually struggling to remember I erased it from my memory uh, completely I actually think Winks did quite well in that game Callum Wilson missed two really good chances but kept going and kept going and kept going and I think his goal will be really important Mm. for him because it will change his whole feeling of how his debut went it changed there wasn't much of a narrative around him because it was all about bloody Rooney Um, (laughs) but any narrative around him it completely changed as well he's now an England debutant scorer he's the first ever Bournemouth player to score for England which is an amazing stat Um, but I was really pleased for him because I think that that gives him momentum now to, to feel like an England squad player to probably get into another squad and I think having missed a couple of chances it was important for him to score Did you give Wayne Rooney a little clap Matt? No 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 <laughs> I didn't give Some people in the press clap. box did I'm not naming names <laughs> Answers, uh, answers yeah, on It wasn't me and Matt <laughs> Alexander Arnold was good in that game Yeah that, the, His yeah, goal was really yeah, well Yeah team. he was really good I think Chilwell as well has basically established himself his first choice yeah. I think he's superb yeah, yeah, yeah. What do we make of Rooney's comments afterwards that there are players he played with for England who are now slightly jealous of the current team's success Matt's looking at me well, I've, <laughs> I've got a theory on this I've got a theory that Wayne Rooney spent all the week building up to that game listening and reading to all the opinions on it and I suspect that there's an ex-England international out there who's either on the radio or writing a column who's given an opinion on the 120th cap that he hasn't liked and decided to kind of have a little dig back but I was trying to think who that was though I'm trying trying I'm not sure on this we're allowed to probably just I don't know where we stand with just I mean legally fine but maybe it's a bit dodgy to just wildly speculate we can just bleep it um, (laughs) people like those kind of I I thought it wouldn't be a top top level England player. I suspected more a rung down who's probably on radio a lot and said something that Rooney. I think I like. think I think Rooney was pretty piqued about the whole thing. To be honest, I think he'd expected more of a kind of adulation and. What was the crowd reaction like to him? It didn't sound oh, much on television. I thought it was okay. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a little bit flat. To be honest, I didn't think when he came out with the guard of honour, the stadium was. Nowhere near full and didn't 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 fill up at all. Really, I th- I thought the whole, I mean I I got to say I thought the whole occasion was quite flat. I didn't really feel it was a real kind of celebration. We were both at the Podolski game when, yeah. when and that was a bit schmaltzy. But there was a much more of a sense of something happening around one player there. I thought this one was a little bit. 
I don't know really. I, I, don't, I think I got. I got to say, I think the whole thing was really badly handled from start to finish. I've got to say, the way it came out, was he going to be the captain? Was he going to be number ten? It was like, oh, it, it just became a thing that it shouldn't have been. I mean, I, I was against it. I didn't think it was a good idea anyway. But then it was handled so badly, the whole thing, and it just became such a tedious story during the whole course of the week. It was so stupid once he was on the pitch as well. It became try and pass to Wayne Rooney yeah. so he can score a goal, maybe. Pathetic. <laughs> got to get full marks for consistency, Matt. You've been dead against this from the well, start. Well, so have so I. You're on the record. Me, me and Matt are yeah. both on the same page. It, it's had to have gone some to change my opinion. <laughs> exactly. I don't quite know how it would have done, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe if they'd have given half the proceeds to me, I might have changed my opinion <laughs> in a very Matt Richard Scudamore kind of way. The Matt Law Foundation for weak crunchies. <laughs> Elsewhere in the Nations League, Ireland and Northern Ireland both relegated. Both these teams made it to Euro 2016. Do we think both are in decline at the moment? Republic, I think, are. I think what I'd say about Northern Ireland is I think they've, for quite a while, sporadically punched so far above yeah. their weight and yeah. done so well. And Michael O'Neill's done such a good job with them that it seems unfair to describe them as being in decline they're probably returning to, to the level the level yeah. they would normally yeah. be at yeah definitely um and just not punching above the way republic of ireland look in trouble to me yeah Particularly- I'm, I'm i'm amazed Neil's surviving really to be honest martin and neil that is not michael i think i'm surprised it's carrying on as long as it has done really i think they need to make a change really it's stagnant they don't really want him or the the, the Fans and the media have turned against him. I don't really think he looks very happy in the job. I think he just needs to change there. And he, with all these countries, with all these countries, I just with a team. Obviously, you, you've got to try and get the best out, best out of what you've got. And this, I hate this constant excuses that we haven't got the players and we haven't got this and we haven't got that. Northern Ireland, up until this point, have proved where you, you can get as far. It doesn't feel like that in international football anymore. It feels like you know, pick a system that sort of works exactly, and, and exactly, well and, this, and you this, can punch above your weight. This idea of who have we got to choose from, and I, I find it with Scotland in particular drives me crazy. And I know my accent's not Scottish, but I am actually Scottish. They, they, they drive me crazy. This excuse of we haven't got the players. We have got better players. Mm-hmm. Just, just get on with it and you know, so organise a system and use the players you've got and I think Northern Ireland did that brilliantly Republic of Ireland I've done it to a very limited degree I think in the very sort of old fashioned style of football really I think there just needs to be a change there What about Scotland let's go to someone with a very Scottish accent <laughs> uh, how, how has their uh, international break been JJ? Well absolutely pumped Albania 4-0 yes. it was fantastic it's uh, coming home didn't see it coming and, but in context it was Albania who were not very good and they had 10 men but uh, this is the thing that like Jason was saying so through injuries and we were about two injuries away from both me and Jason getting called up to the squad <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had that's a solid joke there uh, so he had to put, call in loads of youngsters you had David Bates who's a youngster who plays in um, Bundesliga 2 uh, and he had players that you wouldn't normally have in the squad Stephen Fletcher is alive and he played and he scored and it's all kind of things you didn't really expect but because the because of the injuries it mean, meant that McLeish played a team I don't think he would normally play and it was very youthful and young and uh, utilised the pace of players like Ryan Fraser you had Stuart Armstrong in there as well James Forrest was doing really well um, and actually James Forrest scored one of the goals of the entire international break I don't know if you saw this little pass inside from Fraser and he chips it over a tackle volleys it in first time it's the best goal I've seen all weekend. It was great. Uh, but yeah, we, we look okay. And we've got Israel coming up in two days. Um, and if Scotland were to win that, we'd be promoted. What a moment. Are you feeling uh-huh. optimistic as well, Jason? I, I, I find it very frustrating with Scotland because I, I don't think they're that bad a team in terms of the players available to them. I just think they just seem to beat themselves up all the time about mm-hmm. how bad we are and how how we haven't got the players and we haven't got this and we haven't got that. And I think, well, actually, you've got some half-decent players. You've got a few Premier League players in there. You've got some good players at Celtic. It's not that bad. There's some good young players there and they just seem to beat themselves up all the time. I think it's partly a historic thing that they 
feel the Scotland feel they should be better than they are. And they can be better than they are, but not maybe as great as I think they should be. So I think there seems to be some sort of like level they need to find. And I, th- I just find it really frustrating. Sounds a bit like England this time last year. Well, yeah. I think McLeish just needs to get the, um, the identity of what he wants to do with it. Exactly. Right? He's not and found they, it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's up to him to do that rather than lament the fact that you haven't got players or people have called off. And just stick to the, what you want to do with the system you've got and then the, the go, go with that. Yeah. And put the young players together. They'll come through as a team. Absolutely. And yeah. there we go. Nobody's expecting Scotland to do brilliantly, but they can do better than they are doing with a better system. Finally, to complete the nations of the British Isles, Wales staying put in Group B in the Nations League, what sort of job do we think Ryan Giggs is doing so far? I think he's doing pretty well, considering that they've managed to stay in the in Group B of the, their Nations League. I don't think he's doing anything particularly revolutionary. It's mostly a 4-4-2, 4-4-1-1. He had Bale back. I think he's doing just fine. You can't really tell. It looks like he's probably drawing his tactical setup from his old like 90s Man United teams where they attack quickly using pace out wide and then utilise the, the skill of players like Harry Wilson, you know, individuals who can create something out of nothing. And that seems to be the plan. Let's move on to the thrilling world of football administration. Richard Scudamore's... <laughs> yeah, about time. Richard Scudamore's golden goodbye. Not a great look for the Premier League, I would argue. Although I suppose this is fairly standard practice at the top level of business, which is absolutely what the Premier League is. How do you feel about it, Jason? I think it was totally cack-handed, badly handled. It doesn't surprise me considering the people involved. Um, I think to ask the clubs initially to write out a cheque for £250,000 each to give to the chief executive when that wasn't the plan in the first place was just crass. I think they've they've got round it by giving it out of this sort of central pot of money. If if when Richard Scudamore had announced he was going, there was an announcement that he was going to be kept on as an advisor and paid a salary, nobody would have batted an eyelid. They might have thought actually £5 million over three years is an awful lot of money for a man who's earning a basic salary of £900,000. So he's actually getting a pay increase, a bit weird, but there you go, to go part-time. But I think if he'd have done that straight away, people wouldn't have been too fussed about it. But it was the way they did it. It was this kind of idea that Bruce Buck, who's the chairman of Chelsea, the head of the remuneration committee at the Premier League, sort of thought, actually, you know, Richard deserves a big pay, pay uh, payoff to try and keep him out of the hands of La Liga. I think, what's he, I mean, I mean, I'm, I, he's done a brilliant job at the Premier League, but what's he going to do at La Liga? What secrets is he going to take to Spain that he can't, the, the Premier League can't keep themselves? <laughs> I mean, I know, I know the Premier League is massively admired around the world. You talk to other leagues and talk about how they, this amazing job they've done in terms of driving the broadcast revenues. The biggest thing he's done is to stop a breakaway, is to keep the 20 clubs together, collective bargaining unit, fantastic, brilliant political job. You can't tell me that his successor can't carry on with that. In fact, that's not, that's not in itself like sort of intellectual knowledge. That's kind of like just a skillful political way of de- doing things. Yeah, OK, let him go to La Liga, let him go to... I don't see why they need to pay him £5 million over three years as an advisor. And also for the new chief executive, I'm not sure I'd be happy about that either, really, having this guy who's basically... We don't, we, we, we've appointed you, but actually want to keep your predecessor as well, just in case. And that's what it looks like to me. What about Susanna Dinage, his, uh, the, the new woman in charge at the Premier League? How surprising was her appointment, Matt? Uh, not, not surprising. I mean, I'd, I'd, it was never going to be anyone from a kind of football background. No. It has to be someone from a broadcasting um, background who's got vast experience in, in dealing um, with, with TV packages and, and all that kind of thing, because that is the most important thing. I mean, she will literally be judged on whether the next time the rights come around, on whether um, they it's can more get money or better. Less. Yeah. yeah, it's more money or less, and that's uh, it. That's how she will be defined as being successful or, or not successful. So her background makes her a very 
sensible looking appointment. I hadn't really heard of her. I don't really know too much about her, but I wasn't surprised. I'd have been surprised if it had actually been someone I'd have heard of. Then I'd have been really surprised. The shortlist was fully made up of people from broadcasts. Basically, that that's, that shows it straight away where they're, where they're coming from. And actually, it's probably right. They probably don't need a football administrator because they're not really that sort of thing. It's like a members club who just want to make money. Um, they're not really into administration. Will there be anything else in her brief, or is it just? I oh, know there, there, there are lots of other issues. there are lots of other issues. Obviously, there's things like safe standing, there's ticket pricing, there's there's the kind of you know obviously the kind of making sure the league doesn't fragment and break away. The European Super League got to stop all that happening. So there are, there are obviously there are grassroots issues as well in terms of that. But but basically, it all flows down from the money. And the clubs will be sitting there thinking, what can you do for us? And what you can do for us is give us more money, please. And that's all they want. And what the big thing will happen in the future with, with the broadcast rights is do they, fra- do they fragment? So she's come from Discovery. So it's not just maybe going to be in the future Sky Sports and BT Sports and selling packages. It's going to break up much more in terms of how you deliver the games. So that's why like Amazon getting involved, Google getting involved will happen. And she's dabbled with that in the past with Discovery. So that's going to be the big area of how do you sell those packages? Also, she's somebody who's worked in America. America's going to be the massive, massive market for the Premier League again because of the broadcasters out there in America so every, virtually everyone on that shortlist had experience in the American market so that's what they're looking at, more than Asia almost is America and how they can make even more money in that way um, There was something I thought, I heard this theory about why the Premier League does so well um, in different countries as opposed to other leagues and it's because the grass looks so nice <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, so it comes across really vibrant. The the grass you get in, in England, so it looks um, colourful. It almost looks like a video game in the way it's saturated and maybe slightly more contrasted. So I think there was a thing in La Liga, I think it was, where they're looking at how they could import foreign grass to make the the, the broadcast look more colourful and therefore more engaging to especially young people who watch it. So they uh, pay attention to it because you see at La Liga or especially um, international games, they look kind of greyer. It's graded slightly differently, well, and that's give, part of the appeal. Give some of the TV motor ground stuff. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> needs to happen. to the Premier League which returns this weekend Spurs versus Chelsea looks like the game of the weekend who's winning that one? Matt oh. your speciality I, I've been predicting a Chelsea trip up for a long time now and being wrong every time but I I think they will trip up here I think Spurs at home they're not playing brilliantly I, I, yeah I, Spurs aren't playing brilliantly but they just keep getting over line and keep getting results and I think they're well well set up to be able to cause Chelsea a lot of problems. Um, it's a very good game, though, isn't it? It's a very attractive game. Um, Chelsea's still unbeaten. Yeah. What time's kick close? Off? 5.30. Ah, it's right. a late game. Okay. Um, you're just trying to find It was extra five hours, basically. <laughs> no, only asking because if it was a 12.30, you always find, especially after an international break, that 12.30 game is rubbish. Yeah, they're so tired. You need to see it slow, yeah. yeah. It's, t- it's just, just almost right off that game. The 12. I, mean, I know it's only five more hours, but it actually does seem to make a difference. And I think often, often with the, we often get a very big game after an international break, and they're often quite disappointing because, as JJ says, the, the players just kind of like aren't back into it yet. But actually, with this, obviously, I know there are a lot of uh, international still being played this week, but obviously England games are already out of the way, so they've almost got a bigger build-up to it. So hopefully it'll be a better match because if, of that. If Chelsea were to win it, I don't think Sari can get away with saying we can't or shouldn't be challenging for the, the title. title. Race, yeah. I mean, he's made yeah. excuses after excuses, kind of fair enough as to why they shouldn't be considered title contenders. But if they go away to, to Tottenham and remain unbeaten, then... I think they should play with the expectation of being should be it, challenging if, for the if league. If they win it, would you say that Tottenham, the best that Tottenham could hope for then is fourth place? 
probably too early to say that. I think probably. Yeah. I think realistically, with everything that's going on for Tottenham, who do you fancy, Jojo? Um, I would say that. <laughs> I agree with Matt. I think this is the kind of game that Pochettino might cleverly be able to get something out of because I think of all the tacticians within the, that league, um, he's maybe one who would spot a, a flaw he sees in Chelsea and then can exploit it. But I, I'm really, really impressed with Chelsea this season and I could see them just pushing right the way to the end of the season, pushing for the title with Liverpool and Man City. But didn't Everton expose that flaw by, yeah, by getting onto it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, as, uh, as I've noticed in some of my tactical previews during the season, <laughs> if, you, if you mark Jorginho out of the game... Well, Marco was reading that, yeah. Who does that job for Spurs? <laughs> Sorry, exactly. I don't know, if, I don't know who, 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 would, who would you think you would do that Someone with? Someone in the 10 space would drop in to, to, to go tight to him. Everton did it with Sigurdsson and then Richarlison Ali? dropped from nine to so Ali. Ali, probably Ali maybe. I mean, Ali would be good at uh, kind of niggling round him. Lamella. Everton could. Yeah. Lamella would be quite good yeah. at yeah. Ericsson could as well. I mean, that anyone in that that squad is have capable do it, yeah. of doing it. Yeah, it's just getting tight and staying with him, so we can't control. The I game. think they will do that as well. I'd be amazed if Pochettino hadn't picked up on that. It's the third coming of Claudio Ranieri in English football at Fulham, who hosts Southampton. Is he the man to keep Fulham up? The brilliant thing about Ranieri is he's produced the biggest miracle in not just Premier League history, but you know, club Sport. football for you know around Europe, and yet. You're still never quite sure what to make of him, are you? I mean, he he should be coming in and everyone hailing at the greatest appointment ever. And yet, you, that point we kind of think, yeah, it could go well, but it could go really his, badly His as career well. record's pretty good. It, it is. The his Greece thing career. seems to count unusually high uh, when people are assessing what he's done. Yeah, I mean, e- even when you assess what he did, he did a good job at Chelsea. Yeah, he did a great of, job yeah. at Chelsea. I mean, um, that's massively undervalued at Chelsea. I mean, he, he only didn't win the league because of the Invincibles. Yeah, people forget that. You know, they they had an amazing season that that last that first season under Abramovich. With, with and what were they as well? Champions, quarter final of the Champions, Champions League, League semi-finals. semi-finals, semi-finals. Let down by Yakanovic, who was his. Uh, was, I think he'd gone by then. Chelsea. He'd already gone. He'd already gone. But he was, yeah, he wasn't great as a player. It, it, to be fair to Slavisa, he admits that himself. He was pretty rubbish at Chelsea as a player. But I, I'm, it, is, it is really weird. Like two years ago, you you win the Premier League, and then the, the best Premier League job you can get after that is the bottom club. It's a bit strange, to be honest with you. But I, I'm I'm not sure which way it'll go. I mean, I think. I'm not sure they're that good a team for them. I've got to say, I look at the collection of players and they've spent an awful lot of money. I look at those players and thinking that's just not a team to me. So he's got an awful lot of work to do. His strength, like a lot of Italian managers, his strength, and it goes against his personality in a way, but his strength is actually organising a defence. I mean, he, he did a brilliant job with that Leicester defence who, yeah. if you looked at the individuals, you'd have never dreamed they could be organised into title-winning defence. So uh, that's clearly his biggest job at Fulham to, to organise a defence and he's very good at that. So it'll be interesting whether he... He said he's not going to go back. He's never gone back for any players he's, he's had before. But there seems some very obvious opportunities, people like Danny Drinkwater and yeah. Andy King, to, to maybe get back some people he knows. So it'll be quite interesting what they do in January. They timed that well um, to put him in now, because Southampton are probably one of the yeah. only teams there that are worse than Fulham, really. And uh, if they were to lose that, and they probably would have done under Yukanovic, uh, it means they've got three points that they absolutely yeah. need. So he has to win this to get them going. Three of the bigger boys away at teams they will all be favourites to beat. Watford host Liverpool, West Ham play Manchester City and Bournemouth play Arsenal. I reckon one of these is going to end in a surprising home win. Which do you think is most likely of those three, JJ? Uh, I think maybe Bournemouth. Uh, Watford. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to predict these games. You, you know how they're going to approach them. You know Liverpool are going to approach it in a certain way. You know Watford can can do good teams on the on the on their day. West Ham versus Man City. I can only see Man City losing that if they don't 
play to how they could. They're just much better than West Ham. But then Arsenal, I think, again, could really push longer in the season than we thought they were going to. But Bournemouth have a, a way of hitting people on the counter that teams like Arsenal do not like. And that could be to their strength. So it would have been Watford, but they allowed Jason the week. <laughs> I was them. waiting for this, <laughs> and their season is now imploding as a result. And he's going to be his fault when they get relegated. I know. I, I don't know what I've done. <laughs> to be honest with you, I think I distracted the manager too long. I think he spent too much time with me. And um, yeah, I'm waiting for him to get to sacked and do an interview Com- saying it all went wrong. Are you Jason feeling more Burke invested in Watford than this, you were? Jason? Yeah, I, I felt really bad when they lost to Newcastle. I was listening to the radio, thinking, "No, don't lose this game. Please don't lose this." Game. And that's not against Newcastle, but that I was, was the game that, that followed your yeah, with them. and they they just battered. Newcastle and couldn't score could they and actually what was interesting when I was down there was I did see quite a lot of the sort of tactical work they did and how that then you saw that in, the, in some of the bits of the game I couldn't write about a lot of it because obviously they were playing that particular game so you couldn't actually fair enough they wouldn't let me write about what the tactics were yeah, yeah. but you saw a lot of it working and not working actually as well and the way that the finishing was just I mean in training the finish was amazing and then in the game some of it was absolutely awful what's, but I, I what's do the feel, most surprising thing about that week with Watford it was like basically I mean, it's got this strange environment where you've got all these millionaires, okay, but they're basically treated like kids, aren't they? I mean, basically they have to be at certain times, at certain places, and do certain things, and it's all very organised. But actually, what was what was the most interesting thing of all was just the kind of there was an incredible camaraderie around the place with them. I mean, they, 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 bought, they, bought, they bought this pool table and they put this pool table in the canteen. They're saying this pool table just transformed the environment, the, the training ground. Everyone wants to play pool all the time, so they're all like it's not not instead of training, but basically what they would do is. <laughs> Football clubs often, I've been around many clubs where they, the players do the training sessions, have a bit of lunch and go. At Watford, they were staying until three or four in the afternoon. They were just hanging around the place. I mean, it was like, really, it's like a sixth form common room. Yeah, basically. They were hanging around. And was obviously, because they've got 14 different nationalities, you think, well, this isn't going to work. But actually, they did, it did work really well together. So the, the pool table and the table tennis table was quite funny as well because Ben Foster had bought this really state-of-the-art table tennis bat and he's very proud of it. <laughs> and he's battering everyone with table tennis the whole time. What's a state-of-the-art table tennis Exactly, bat exactly. Like? like this sort of an amazing graphite bat he'd just unwrap like, his bat. Like a big, big, light on big grin on his face. Yeah, exactly. It's a turbocharged <laughs> bat he was like sort of beating people with. But... No, I, I was very impressed by the whole setup, really, to be honest. And I mean, obviously, from their point of view, they're a club who, who, who are fundamentally going to try and stop other teams playing before they then start to play themselves. So you see a lot of how they prevent the opposition. And the tactical work was was really interesting. And little things like they were showing me how you how you how you how you pick out and identify what the other teams are going to do tactically in terms of just little things how they how they sort of do their corners and what signals they use. So you you basically work out all their signals and what they're going to do, and then you sort of work back from that. But every team must know that. Do they not just change the signals from week to week? Exactly. No, they don't. They don't. Actually, they still carry on doing the same sort of things, basically. But they vary their, their set pieces quite a lot. And there was so... I think the game, the game before I went down there, they played Huddersfield, and one of their set pieces had worked really well, and they were so pleased about you, that. You always see the managers <laughs> yeah. going extra they excited so, when that, they that score is, a goal Yeah, that is genuinely true. They were just so pleased. I think it was a third goal they scored against Huddersfield or something. They were just so happy with that goal. So oh. Did you see all the video prep and then yep. saw it on the pitch as well, how yep. they implemented it? Yeah. That's yeah, great. Yeah, I mean they work incredibly hard. The amount of the amount of the amount of camera angles they use, the the, the all the feeds they different, the, how they do all the clips, how many games they watch. And Garcia said to me he'd watched every single Newcastle Premier League game the whole ninety minutes the week before he, they played them, and they're prepping so far in advance now. But he, and I said you are joking. He went, no, I've watched every every minute of every game. That is a boring week. Yeah. <laughs> I this is say, like what, JJ's what, Disneyland. What did, what did you do? This to put yourself like through JJ's that? Absolute <laughs> fantasy, yeah. isn't it? I don't really got, got all the games. I want to do that. <laughs> Die and go to Watford's training ground for a week. It's heaven. <laughs> You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts.
JJ, give me a cleverest moment of the weekend, please. Uh, well, cleverest moment of the week is um, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, Switzerland destroyed Belgium 5 2. Did not see. It was uh, pretty special um, from 2 0 uh, uh, down as well. But the, special, the cleverest moment is Jordan Shakiri, who um, for Switzerland's fifth goal, uh, he chases the ball down the right wing, he turns back and faces up to the defender. And as the defender sort of gets a bit close to him, he rolls it with his left foot and flicks it on the outside of his right. Really, really cool bit of skill. And that puts the ball clean through for Kevin Mbappu, who crosses into Hans Seferovic, who completes the perfect hat-trick, left, right and head. A wonderful story from Switzerland. It's the first good thing Switzerland have ever done in football. Finally, referee David McNamara suspended this week for using rock, paper, scissors in a women's Super League match uh, with, with his coin back in the dressing room. A lot of officials very angry about this decision, so there was a grassroots movement over the weekend of refs doing the same to show their support <laughs> for poor old David McNamara. What other playground activities would you like to bring to football? And while you think about this question, because you probably haven't read it in the email, I said that yesterday. I did read this one. <laughs> yeah, good, good. I did read this one. I will, I will go to... Uh, Telling them off. Uh, our eager listeners uh, who got in touch to give us these answers. Sandy Rush said, Hopscotch on the run-up to the penalty would look less ridiculous than Pogba's run-up. And Martin Patrick E. Egan says jumpers for goalposts, VAR could possibly be needed more often. I, I would go, do you remember British Bulldog? Yes. <laughs> do I need to explain what it is? Possibly briefly. Briefly, so uh, two people start off in the middle of the playground with the rest of the whole school at one end of the playground and they have to, the rest of the whole school have to charge to try and get to the other side and the two people can take down as many people as they can. Um, very violently and then they become the Bulldogs too and this all continues until there's one absolute idiot left on their own who has to try and get past about 100 kids without getting killed it was banned in most schools it was brilliant Um, I would have this uh, a version of this instead of a penalty shootout so one team does it and you see how many of the team can get past two of the other team up to one end and then the other team have to do it at the other end and whoever gets the most past uh, wins and it would end up in uh, Adibo Akinfenwa <laughs> being signed by like Manchester City just for when they end up in a British Bulldog in the final of the Champions League. What a well-realised vision. I take back I can't, my I can't compete with that. Exactly. <laughs> Not reading questions. Thank you. Try and compete. Well, my, mine's more of a school sports day one, I'd have thought. And I think that actually we should have a real managerial sack race. I think that would be the, uh, <laughs> the start of the season. <laughs> Who wins that, do you think? <laughs> Who wins it? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. Who Who's do the most athletic-looking... Uh, Pochettino would do okay yeah sorry wouldn't be good at it <laughs> no <laughs> out of breath I think. Eddie Howe would be good at it Guardiola Guardiola would win it I think yeah. fortunately that's have a nicer yeah. sack as well wouldn't he uh... <laughs> <laughs> JJ Ball um, I quite like the idea of having had to do this in Sunday League it's not school ground but um, the, the players have to run the line for their own team when they, you know, it's whether a spare linesman. Also, what you could do is you could have a one-off match where you have all the players just sitting around, and then you get two captains who then have to choose. I was asking someone earlier, this earlier, and they've never heard of it before. But you stand opposite each other, say twenty feet away, to decide who gets first pick, and then you have to jump to land on the other person's foot. But obviously, twenty feet's too far, so you jump a little bit first, and then they jump a bit. But they might go shorter, so it might leave them with another jump, so they can get in your feet first. Has no one done that before? Never heard of it. No, we did it? that a lot. What's that called? Uh, jumping man. I don't know. We used to do that genuinely to pick teams at school. Where was this? Um, Aberdeenshire. Don't, don't, wouldn't you waste like half half of the uh, playtime? Well, no, because it's funny because picking the, the team. Because then what you can do is you can absolutely crunch someone's shins when you go into it with the the last jump. You can leap into it. 
Have you ever heard of this extremely weird thing? Please contact us, <laughs> afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk. I think JJ's made that up. That's all from this week's Telegraph Audio Football Club. Look out for a special episode coming later this week in which I sit down with a famous football fan. I remember in the video, I nutmegged Mark Hughes. That is the absolute pinnacle of my entire footballing career. Sometimes, you know, when the family are out, I just put that on permanent rewind. All will be revealed. Contact me on Twitter if you'd like. Before then, it's at Tom with an H Gibbs. You can also be like Upkabi Maberi, who kindly got in touch with us via email this week, saying he'd make a large money transfer into my bank account if I would first make a small payment to him. Your money is on its way, Upkabi. You too can email us with suggestions for what you'd like us to discuss next week on AFC Telegraph. The address is afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. We'll read out the best of what you send to us. Don't forget to subscribe by searching for Telegraph Audio Football Club on the internet. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.